Let's start by being honest with ourselves. As a nation, for decades, we were perfectly happy to write off whole neighborhoods, whole cities, whole generations of young men and women. As long as it was an inner city problem, an urban problem, which is to say, a black people problem, a brown people problem. Send them to prison, into a system from which they'll never return. Maybe now, now that it's really come home to roost, now that it's the high school quarterback, your next door neighbor, your son, your daughter, now that grandma's as likely to be a junkie as anybody else, we'll accept that there has never been a real war on drugs. War on drugs implies an us versus them. And all over this part of America, people are learning there is no them. There is only us. And we're going to have to figure this out together. Hello, Baltimore. My name is Tyrone Boast, owner of BPPW Heating Cooling. And welcome to our show, The Call Tyrone Show. Along with me are my African-American cultural gangsters, <laughs> Mr. Lee, the, my millennials, Mr. Leroy Myers, graduate student and teaching assistant at the University of Oklahoma. His area of study is the dynamics of the intersection of African-American and Native American history. Say hello, Leroy. Uh, hello. Happy Monday, everybody. Okay, Leroy is in Oklahoma, so there are people in Oklahoma listening to us even as we speak. So the word is getting out throughout the nation. <laughs> and uh, Zachary Leacott, social media entrepreneur who majored in audio production, radio, TV, and film at Howard University. He is a socially conscious vegan and producer of the Channel 10 Podcast, a podcast featuring interviews with pioneering rap artists. How's it going, Baltimore? Good afternoon. Okay, Baltimore. We're gonna we're gonna today we're gonna talk about unemployment, and uh, the reason we're talking about this because as we connect the dots as far as uh, some of the pathologies that affect uh, um, African American youth in the city of Baltimore, a lot of those dots lead back to unemployment. Okay, and and uh, as a result of the the uh, mass incarceration of our youth, and um, et cetera. So, first of all, what, what I would like to do, this is nothing new as far as joblessness in the black community. So, what I would like to do is to take a visit back uh, down uh, memory lane with Dr. King. And a lot of people think that Dr. King, you know, we remember the, the um, I Have a Dream speech and all this stuff. But the, that march was called the um, March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom. The, and, and, and most people forget that. I mean, that's usually dropped off of the name of the march completely. The Jobs and Freedom part. <laughs> so, Dr. King was not about, yeah, he wanted to sit down at the print table of brotherhood, but he didn't want to be broke while his brothers, you know, have an abundance of money in their pockets. So, Dr. King was big on the economy. As a matter of fact, before he died, he was at the uh, poor man's march uh, for the sanitation workers. Um, and that's why he was killed, because he, he, uh, he, you know, he was involved in that march, and he had been called back, you know, because some things that went wrong with the march. Um, so, we're going to talk about, we're going to let Dr. King tell us about corporate welfare. We crowd against welfare handouts to the poor, but generously approve an oil depletion allowance to make the rich richer. Six Mississippi plantations receive more than a million dollars a year not to plant cotton, but no provision is made to feed the tenant farmer who is put out of work by the government subsidy. Crowning achievement in hypocrisy 
must go to those staunch Republicans and Democrats of the Midwest and West who were given land by our government when they came here as immigrants from Europe. They were given education through the land-grant colleges. They were provided with agricultural agents to keep them abreast of farming trends. They were granted low-interest loans to aid in the mechanization of their farms. And now that they have succeeded in becoming successful, they are paid not to farm. And these are the same people who now say to black people whose ancestors were brought to this country in chains and who were emancipated in 1863 without being given land to cultivate a bread to eat, that they must pull themselves up by their own bootstraps. What What they truly advocate is socialism for the rich and capitalism for the poor. Okay, what, what Dr. King, that, what he just said is still current today as far as, uh, and I remember um, watching CNN and, and Alan Sharpton was debating with a, uh, with a congressman who was trying to back up what Romney was saying about, you know, people who are considered to be eaters or whatever. And they're not really contributing and all this stuff. And, and people that are getting things that they shouldn't get, like retirees and all that kind of stuff that they didn't earn. And um, what Al Sharpton asked him was, look, your family gets farm subsidies. You get millions of dollars a year in farm subsidies. What did they do to get that money? And the guy was just, you know, <laughs> he, didn't have, he was at a loss for words because he knew Al Sharpton was right. So the corporate welfare is still going on, by the way. It, it, takes, it takes place in many forms. And uh, the, the Republicans, I'm not, I'm not going to make a thing of a Republican or a Democrat thing because it's a distraction. But, but I'll just say right-wingers seem to rail at, you know, when, when uh, people, you know, are getting things, appear to be getting things they didn't earn. But nobody, let me, let me make this clear, nobody earns a billion dollars, okay? You, get, you ain't done that much work, trust me. Um, you, you actually have to leverage, you know, the, the fact that, you know, there are winners and losers in capitalism. And, and the losers, and things like welfare are what we pay the losers as concessions. So they just don't go buck wild and go and start riding. Um, as far as what Dr. King was talking about, the, uh, the land grants and et cetera, um, actually, I know y'all heard the term 40 acres and a mule. All right, everybody's heard that term, 40 acres and a mule. Actually, there was a provision that was passed. It, it, it was the Freedman's Act, according to, uh, this is according to uh, Professor of History uh, Eric Foner. At Columbia uh, University in New York, it was the, it was passed. Uh, the the Freeman Bureau Act was passed uh, by Abraham Lincoln. It was, it was passed by Abraham Lincoln, passed by Congress, and a part of that bill was to give forty parts of forty acres of land to African Americans and a mule. <laughs> so, believe it or not, um, and uh, um, uh, General Tecumseh Sherman, who was a general during the Civil War, one of the leading generals in the Civil War, he actually started initiating that with Field Order uh, Fifteen. He actually gave land to to African Americans in abandoned settlements. I mean, ab- abandoned plantations and and, and whatnot. And um, he cut them up into forty acre parcels. He started doing this, and and, and they stayed on that land. A thousand, about a thousand families moved to that land. And guess what happened? <laughs> Abraham Lincoln was shot, okay, and killed. And Andrew ja- Johnson, who was um, sympathetic to the South anyway, he actually vetoed uh, the extension of that bill. And they the deal, those black farmers were forced off that land. 
and those that w resisted, they were um, they were um, forced off by the same federal troops that that emancipated them because you know, like, I, like I've said before, Emancipation Proclamation actually gave freedom to people in states in rebellion against the, the uh, North. It was the Thirteenth Amendment to the Constitution of Freedom. So those those people. They were forced off by those same troops. And by the way, you know, about 100,000 black troops served in the Civil War, too. So it wasn't just, you know, a gift. That was part of the Emancipation Proclamation, if you read it. It says able-bodied uh, people who have been liberated can join the Army. So that was part of that. That's part of that document. I know a lot of people haven't read this thing, but trust me, you should. If you're a black person, you should read it. Because the only difference between you and being a slave are those words in those documents, the 13th Amendment. And, and the um, Emancipation Proclamation. That's how important those documents are. Every black person, every adult should have read it. So, but, uh, so I'm not, I'm, I'm not go too far with that. Uh, um, but at any rate, uh, the people that resisted, they were they were actually forced. Some some blacks actually took up arms and tried to try to keep the land, but they were you know they, of course they were killed. They you can't you can't um, uh, confront the United States uh, military in that way, now, especially during civil uh, war days, especially if you're a black person. Uh, Zach, I was going to say going back to the um, to the statement that corporate welfare takes many different forms. I'm um, looking at an article from Forbes in 2014, and uh, Walmart, the biggest employer in the country, um, it looks like their employees actually uh, take out about 6.2 billion in public um, assistance, which includes uh, food stamps, Medicaid, and subsidized housing. So, when it comes to um, you know, what is perceived to be welfare to uh, actual citizens. When you look at the uh, corporate structure of it, they don't pay high wages. And so the uh, money that they would be paying actually gets paid through the taxpayers. Um, so uh, that's another form of corporate welfare that's um, been disguised as, you know, public welfare that a lot of, uh, as you said, white, uh, right wingers, excuse me, right wingers tend to rail against. Go ahead, uh, Leroy. Yeah, and you know, um, you know, uh, going back to uh, to uh, to land following the Civil War, um, you know, because of things like that, a lot of blacks they ended up coming to uh, to the West to places like Oklahoma and Arkansas, um, and even in um, even the Kansas, trying to find uh, different ways to obtain land. So a lot of them they would try to uh, take advantage of the 1862 uh, Homestead Act. But the issue with this was. Um, Land they were still marginalized in a weird way when it came to the quality of land they were able to to, uh, to receive. So this led to numerous crop failures um, and just not being able to really uh, make a sustain sustain uh, decent crops, leading to a lot of them uh, leaving black towns in Oklahoma and going into the north in the 1910s and 1920s during the Great Migration. Yes, and, and as I can indicated. At the same time, white sellers were given uh, uh, loans and and they were you know interest free loans and they were uh, given advice on how to to grow their crops and classes on on uh, the latest technologies and you know and the latest innovations and equipment for for farming, mm -hmm. and while the uh, black farms were le left to fail, you mm -hmm. know, sink or swim mm -hmm. on their own. And um, that when when not only did um, um, the reason why uh, uh, Tecumseh Sherman. Um, ordered that land in, in um, 15, um, uh, field order 15, is because he actually met with ministers in the South. And they said that they, they he said, what can be done for freemen to help them the most? They said, we want land. They said, we need land, and um, and then we, we need y'all to leave us alone. We need the protection. 
rubbing some white Southerners, but we need y'all. And by the way, that 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 act also helped poor white Southerners as well that were sympathetic to the North during the war. So it wasn't just for black people. Just like a lot of these programs, the minority programs which help white women, et cetera. There's always a loophole there to help white people as well. So <laughs> it wasn't just for black people, the Free Man's Act. It was for poor whites who were sympathetic to or displaced whites and refugees who were displaced by the, by the uh, Civil War as well. So the, the, what um, Tecumseh Sherman did was he, um, he um, not only did he give them land, he started giving them army mules, you know, that were, um, you know, he said these, these mules are worn out from the campaigns and we don't march them to death anyway, so y'all going to have them. So this, this uh, four acres of mule is not just a figment of black people's imagination. It's not a fabrication. It was actually passed along with the Freedman Bureaus Act. Um, by Abraham Lincoln, and later vetoed. The extension was vetoed by uh, Andrew Johnson, a Southern sympathizer, who became president. He was vice, Lincoln's vice president, and he became president when Lincoln was killed. Um, so, what we're going to do is we're going to we're going to fast forward to uh, current times, and I'm just, this is Black History Month, so I'm just trying to give you all a feel on how we got to this place that we're in now. And what I would like to talk about is joblessness and um, and. Uh, Jobless communities and how you know that that affects uh, crime and whatnot. And um, let's let's bring that clip up by uh, uh, William Julius Wilson, Professor Wilson. Neighborhoods uh, that are organized around work, where a significant percentage of the huh? adults are working, are significantly different from what we call from what we call jobless neighborhoods. That is neighborhoods that include a significant percentage of people who are not working. Jobless neighborhoods are more dangerous because joblessness uh, uh, creates other problems, breeds other problems like uh, crime, uh, gang formation, drug trafficking, uh, and so on. So uh, uh, I think that uh, we really need to pay a lot of attention to the problems of joblessness in these neighborhoods. And of course, given the present economy, the present economic crisis, the problems that I described, and when, when work disappears, when work disappears, which was published in 1996, are even greater today. Was, that was uh, William Julius Wilson. He's the author of When Work Disappears, where he chronicles, you know, the, the, um, the uh, disappearance overnight of a lot of jobs that were sent overseas. And, and at, that, at, at one time, almost 7% of, of African-American males were employed in uh, heavy industry in cities like uh, Chicago, Baltimore, um, and Philadelphia, places like that. Then over, overnight, those jobs disappeared, and it was replaced with the uh, war on drugs, <laughs> which uh, actually led to, a, you know, instead of some kind of program to make up for that and retrain these people, to give them jobs or whatever to, you know, to so that they can, um, they can better themselves. Um, that was not the case. Uh, we decided to just start uh, resting our way out of a problem, giving people records where, which would virtually make, render them unemployable. And that, it's not good to have large numbers of unemployed people in a community. And as I've said before, and I'll say it until it changes, and then when I die, you spill on my grave. Um, there's a, <laughs> the, the unemployment rate is 51.8% in Sandtown, Winchester. All right, that's twice the double, that's double, you look this up, that's double the Great Depression. As long as you have unemployment rates that high, we will never have uh, uh, a peaceful um, community, you know, because people are when people are used to to uh, um, uh, making their money from crime, they, they develop a, a different set of mores. And that's passed. That could be passed on to from generation to generation. So that's, that's the danger of it. And by the way, 
a summer jobs program. A jobs program is a mentoring program. Okay, I keep hearing about mentoring programs. Mentoring programs are, are great, but if there's no job or career opportunity at the end of that mentoring program, it's, it's almost cruel. But a jobs program is a summer job. That's a mentoring program. Okay, and at the same time, that impoverished child. And then, by the way, the medium income in uh, Santan Winchester is twenty four thousand, uh, which is below the the uh, national rate of twenty four. I think it's twenty four five. National rate, so it's, it's a lot of poverty in that in that, in that neighborhood, and, and those people, you know, a lot of those people that live there, that the only way they can make money is on the, in the illicit drug market, okay, and um, and that and that it's a it's a, a it's almost like a self perpetuating cycle because as you become imprisoned and you you're you're, you're keep, keeping yourself out of the job market. What I believe is that there should be a Marshall program to put people back to work, and I think some if you're 14, by the way, you should be working. You should have a job. That's what I taught my son, and that's what my father taught me. You should have a job. There's no reason why you should be out here hanging. And then rec centers are great, but we need to have both, rec centers and jobs. And, and if I had a choice as a child, again, I would have took a job rather than a rec center, okay? And then I keep hearing this stuff about these young people don't want to work, and I got two millennials with, with me. They've been working ever, ever since I can remember. So that's a myth, and I get tired of hearing it. I want to slap somebody upside the head every time I hear that. Um, and I've even heard a minister say that. Yeah. But uh, go ahead. Uh, and um, I was going to make the point that um, uh, William uh, uh, Julius Wilson, uh, in one of his talks, he talked about a Harvard study where uh, they followed 750 African-American uh, children ages 6 through 12 in Chicago in 1995. And he followed them for seven years and tested them at three different points. And uh, they found that residing in severely disadvantaged neighborhoods cumulatively impeded the development of academic verbal ability in children. Um, and the main takeaways from the study where that neighborhood environment is important for that verbal cognitive ability that african-american children from those neighborhoods fell behind an estimated year or more of schooling than those not from those neighborhoods and the strongest effects of um, exposure to those neighborhoods uh, actually appeared several years after even residing in those neighborhoods and another study showed that the long-term effects um, of that long-term exposure to living in those neighborhoods um, definitely uh, impacts high school uh, graduation, which impacts crime and um, a lot of other negative things that do happen in the community. So joblessness leads to poverty, which leads to all of the issues that we consider to be uh, the issues in the community now. Uh, so even the issues with the schools are definitely impacted by the joblessness because kids aren't graduating because they're in that uh, neighborhood of poverty. And that's how we're, we're starting to connect these dots. And in some of those neighborhoods, such as Sandtown, Winchester, and East Baltimore neighborhoods and West Baltimore neighborhoods, almost every house or every other house has a person that's been incarcerated. So that does have a bearing on the uh, um, the employability of these people. And, and, and the, uh, it also affects the women because a lot of times um, when, when these, these young men are old enough to commit to a relationship, they've already been felonized and taken out of the job market or in prison. All right. Okay, let's take some calls. We're loaded. Okay, so uh, first up, we have Marcus. Uh, how's it going, Marcus? Yeah, how you doing, man? I'm doing all yeah, right. <clears throat> when I was coming up, Brian J. Mitchell was our congressman, but here's what I'm trying to say. You had states, uh, city, state, and federal summer program, job program. You had, you had other job programs such as CETA, Manpower, Urban League, uh, youth work. I mean, what happened to those programs? Well, what 
to all that. I think they were taken out by design. Well, Marcus, the people, and here's the problem. We got black people, that's the mayor. And, and by the way, the mayor says she had a summer job that are in city council. And they've all benefited from this. I've benefited from it, you know, because it taught me a work ethic. And we got to get these kids early and get them to think, start thinking, you got to work for a living. Instead of, you know, um, getting involved in that street code and all that other stuff that puts you out of the labor market. Because a lot of things you learn in the street code are not applicable to um, a work, a professional work environment. So, you know, even though it makes you money on the streets. But um, we've we, we got to get start early with these kids. That's why I say when you're 14, you need to be working somewhere, at least in the summer. And they should have uh, jobs tied to schools. I'm sorry, Marcus. Go ahead. But I had it available to me. I had it available to me, too, Marcus. I remember I worked um, uh, through CETA. I had, not that I have a summer job every year, at, uh, through the CETA program, I could work after school for three hours, as long as I kept my grades up. Yeah. And and, and like I said, these these people, these politicians, they, they have selective amnesia. They think they just made it, you know, out of thin air when they made it on the backs of other people like Perrin J. Mitchell and, and, and people that had these programs for them to, to, to develop that work ethic and, and, you know, and see how these things and see how these things um, benefit them by st- stick to this and hard work. And, and last thing, last thing I want to say, why? I mean, to me, like I said, by design, you got all these RITs and ITTs. I got all that in school. How about that? Vocational in school. I have all, all, all these things that was taken out of school. Marcus. And, Marcus. You know, um, I got workshop, workshop all yep. that kind yep. of stuff. Uh, yep. So Marcus. Why, why was all this taken out? I'm going to tell I, you. I'm going to tell you why. And you went back uh, to Martin Luther King and back, you know, those things are still applying today, but just tweaked a little bit, right. like affirmative action where the white woman is a minority and all this other kind of stuff. Like you say, yeah. there's always a little wrinkle in there to help yeah. uh, other people. Besides, It's not really about you. You're right. You know? Affirmative action had nothing to do with humpbacks or, you know, uh, midgets. or It was for black people. It was for this correct deficiencies where black people were actually told, you can't work here because you're black, you know, point blank. And, I, and by the way, I mean, I, you know, I went to when I went to Carver Vocational Technical Senior High School. I learned a trade in school. You know, I learned how to fix televisions and radios. It's absolutely skilled now because they're so cheap. It's not worth fixing it. But it gave me a background in electronics. So when I actually went and got, in the, got into an apprenticeship, which they brought to my school at, for um, um, HVAC, I was able to apply that that same electrical knowledge to the HVAC field. You know, so you learn if you learn a technical skill, it's applicable to a lot of you know a wide variety of, of uh, and I was able to apply it in the military. You know, so you know these things these things come in handy. Jobs come in handy. You learn something, and you have a mentor there because you have a professional black person or a white person there that's going to try to lead you straight because these are working responsible people. And a lot of them are family people. So a jobs program again is a mentoring program. You want a mentoring program? Put these kids to work. Next next call caller. Okay. Next up on the line, we have Leo. How's it going, Leo? Yeah, good afternoon. Uh, I love the Tyrone, let's call Tyrone show. Because <laughs> you're dealing with relevant issues, and, and it's nitty-gritty, and yet we, we, we're, we're growing by grace. We're learning by your example, and we thank you for that. Uh, l- let me say that uh, I'm the chair of the Committee of Concerned Citizens, and we received a complaint within the last several months from the Co-Terrace uh, Tenants Association at 206 uh, Fremont Avenue Public Housing, and we discovered when we investigated, and fortunately they're already members of our group, that when you talk about corporate welfare, you were talking about the University of Maryland and the Biopark 
and in that regard, uh, there was a tentative agreement to construct a facility at 873 West Baltimore Street. Uh, they reneged, when I say they, the University of Maryland Biopark and the Wexford Science and Technology Center, reneged on their commitment to uh, uh, provide uh, jobs uh, for the people in that community. Uh, this was supposed to be a joint venture to partner as prime contractors for the construction of the building for public housing residents. And uh, there's a matter of a TIF, the tax incremental financing right, city, right, of uh, $18 million. Uh, this was something that uh, seems to make the rich, Tyrone, uh, it makes the rich richer and the poor poorer because these are rich white men who benefit, but the community is not benefiting. Right, so, right. And Leo, yeah. actually, what you're saying is, is still like it's still current. And actually, Dr. King talked about uh, some of that and the, and, uh, the politics, the politics of uh, uh, was a clip called "The Politics of um, Joblessness." Right. That's and, right. Um, so we, what we're going to do, we're going to bring that clip up for you. Just hold on a second. We're going to bring that clip up. And, and this is like I said, he's saying more things uh, change, the more they stay the same. So let's let's just see what Dr. King had to say about that. Will politics right. get involved with uh, I'm joblessness? SCLC began an adult literacy project to aid 1,000 young men and women who have been pushed out of overcrowded ghetto schools in obtaining basic, basically literacy skills prerequisite to receiving jobs. We had an agreement with A&P stores for 750 jobs through SCLC's job program, Operation Breadbasket, and had recruited over 500 pupils the first week. At that point, Congressman Kuczynski and the Daily Machine intervened and demanded that Washington cut off our funds or channel them through the machine control poverty program in Chicago. Now we have no problem with administrative supervision, but we do have a desire to be independent of machine control and the Democratic Party patronage network. For this desire for a politically independent approach to the needs of our brothers, our funds are being stopped as of September 15th, and a very meaningful program discontinued. Yes, the hour is dark. Evil comes forth in the guise of good. It is a time of double talk when men in high places have a high blood pressure of deceptive rhetoric and an anemia of concrete performance. Okay, now... <laughs> We can we can just tweak that a little bit to say black faces in high places. <laughs> so, yeah, but yeah. the same thing, you know, B goes on. Yeah. Let, let me conclude on this note that the uh, the TIF, uh, what what is being demanded by the public housing tenants is that the uh, TIF will fund the creation and development of a training academy for their community. They live in the Poppleton community, and that the uh, that it will renovate the James McHenry Recreation Center uh, to a state-of-the-art facility. This was tentatively agreed upon by the president of city council, uh, 
Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. I'm I'm city council by um, also uh, Carl Stokes, who's head of the Taxation, Financing, and Economic Development Committee, and uh, and Pete Welsh is the councilman from this district, hmm. and and Pete Welsh from the ninth city council district. The people are telling me, and I have no reason to doubt them. He's turned his backs on these people here, and this happens also from a state point of view, being Kathy Pugh's district. So we're crying out for justice. We're going to have a press conference tomorrow at three o'clock tomorrow afternoon at the uh, auditorium, the the uh, Poe Terrace Auditorium at 206 North Fremont Avenue, 206 North Fremont Avenue at 3 o'clock tomorrow, and it's going to be followed by a march to the uh, uh, down to the University of Maryland Biopark at 801 West Baltimore Street, and we'll be demonstrating there uh, until 5.30 uh, tomorrow afternoon, late afternoon. So Come one, come all. But uh, we're not going to let it go. We're not going to let our officials get away with selling out the community. Not at all. Uh, we're demanding justice, and it's going to happen. Okay. Thank you very much. All right, Leo, Leo I appreciate you calling, and, uh, uh, you know, keep the keep up the fight. I appreciate your activism, and so does the community. Trust me. Um, but we're coming up on the half. We're going to take one more call, and then we're going to go into the commercial. Okay, next up on the line, we have John. John, how's it going? How's it going, John? How's gentlemen doing? All right. Doing all right. Can you give me a definition of a community or a neighborhood? What's the difference between a neighborhood and a community? Well, <laughs> I'm, look, I don't know if it's a trick question, but but um, I, I th- my, in answer to that, what, I, what I'll say is at one time we did have communities. But, but today, I think after the war on drugs and all this stuff that's going on, uh, it's just a neighborhood, a bunch of people living together. You know, but, what we have now. You know, I think the black community has been, pretty much been devastated by the war on drugs and mass incarceration. Be, be quite honest with you. Oh, go ahead, John. Say this. Well, my definition of a community is a place where you feed, you can feed, clothe, house, and protect protect yourself. That's right. The, and we don't have that. And we're not in community. We just inhabiting a, a building or yep. structure. I agree. I agree. And that's due to a lot of stuff that's been p- imposed on us from without. And I and I'm not negating personal responsibility. I think we all, you know, need to be responsible for our actions. But at the same time, and we should all work hard. We should all seek excellence. But at the same time, we should have the opportunity, the opportunity. And um, according to the Sun article, dated November 22nd, um, 2015, Freddie Gray was a client down at the job center up in um, um, uh, Mondam. There's a job center. It's called the One Stop Career Center in Mondam. And um, he was trying to find a job, and he told this preacher that he was doing work for that he wanted to get off the streets, but he can't get a job because of his criminal record. And at, at that, because um, he was doing work for this preacher or whatever, you know, sporadically. And um, he told he told me, he said, I want to stop this. I want to get off the streets, but I can't get a job. And, and, and the preacher was trying to help him with resumes and all this kind of stuff. And also the job center was trying to help him get a job, and they were unsuccessful. And by the way, the person who ran that job center said that They've had 32,000 ex-offenders come through there, and um, they've only been able to help 10% of them. So they, out of 32,000 ex-offenders, they were only able to help 3,000, you know, 200. So, yes, there are programs for ex-offenders, but it's not enough. And that's indicated by the, the um, you know, 51.8% unemployment in um, uh, Santana Winchester. We, I mean, we, that stuff, that little stuff they do is like eyewash to keep you, buying, keep you saying, okay, they're doing something. You know, they're helping ex-offenders. Look at this program and that program. It's not enough. Okay, it's, it's it's not enough. We gotta have a serious program, uh, and it's gotta be nationwide, actually, 
to put you know these these uh, ex offenders back to work that that's specifically meant to address mass incarceration, the evils of mass incarceration and the war on drugs, which direct was directed at the black community. Okay, right. and yeah, we, and I think we need to start stirring our young folks into to the trades in, in the, uh, agriculture and farming because. Like I said, we can't feed ourselves and we can't have ourselves. And we can't build a damn house, right? <laughs> but um, yeah, I, you know, I'm I'm a I'm a, a tradesman, you know, I'm a tradesman. But now I'm a business owner, you know. I'm, I'm so that allowed me to be an entrepreneur, you know. Once I developed that skill to, the, you know, to the point of refinement. I'm also, you know, I also have a degree, but that trade has made me more money than that degree would, you know, in my opinion. Absolutely. But, yeah. So. There are there are good things to to have in the trade. And a lot of these, and again, we sleep on these jobs. A lot of these jobs, the plumbers, and and I, and I know these guys. I know these people, plumbers and electricians. They're making thirty dollars an hour. Some are making thirty five dollars an hour. Okay, oh, and um, a lot of these office wor- workers and and the stuff out here in these uh, re- and I'm not knocking any of that stuff. There's these retail jobs. They're not gonna pay you that. <laughs> they're not gonna pay you that. It, yeah. it, you always had that to fall back on. Right. You always had that to fall back. And you got people coming into Baltimore City. Working on all these projects down the um, Inner Harbor, and they're taking that money back with them nonstop to the county. They won't stop and buy a soda at this corner store, taking it out of our communities and back to where, and back to where they live. Uh, okay. Okay. All right. Thank, thank you, you so much, John. Okay, we're at the half. We're gonna um, we're gonna um, go to the commercial break. Did your air conditioning go bust this summer, or do you need a new furnace for the coming winter? Those other companies tried to reduce my family's bank account to zero. But when we called Tyrone, he became our hero. Hello, this is Tyrone, owner of BPPW, telling you don't be overcharged for your air conditioning and heating installations. BPPW can install a new furnace, heat pump, or air conditioning system at very reasonable rates. Don't wait until icicles are hanging off your nose this winter. Call BPPW now at 410-978-6889. We currently offer a 10-year warranty on parts and labor and a lifetime warranty on compressors for air conditioning and heat pump installations. You may qualify for a 30% tax rebate on some installations. So, before you go with the other guys, call Tyrone now at 410-978-6889. Going? Yes. Okay. Oh. Uh, all right. We we also we touched on um, we touched on um, what Dot King was talking about how when the government gets involved in, in these programs and sometimes they don't turn out to be what we want them to be, and a lot of it has to do with people you know, with um bad intentions you know or, or who are really have have no no true concern for the community becoming involved in these programs. Um, do we do we have that clip on on um uh. The uh, jobs for all, jobs for all. Yep, jobs for all. Okay. And uh, we will discuss this further. Let's let's bring it up. We will take some more calls later. But I see that the boards lit up, so but we'll go ahead and play this from Dr. King. I propose recently that a national agency be established to provide employment for everyone needing it. Nothing is more socially inexcusable than unemployment in this age. In the 30s, when the nation was bankrupt, 
It instituted such an agency, the WPA, in the present conditions of a nation glutted with resources, it is barbarous to condemn people desiring work to soul-sapping inactivity and poverty. And I am convinced that even this one massive act of concern would do more than all the state police and armies of the nation to quell riots and still hatreds. The tragedy is that our materialistic culture does not possess the statesmanship necessary to do it. Victor Hugo could have been thinking of 20th century America when he wrote, there's always more misery among the lower classes than there is humanity in the higher classes. You see, and I'm going to take these calls in a minute, as you can see, Dr. King was quite a prophet, okay? So, and that stuff is, is apropos for the day. Um, now, to his credit, Barack Obama, President Obama came up with a program. It was called the um, American Recovery and Re um, Reinvestment Act, okay? And, and what that was, they, it was short called a stimulus for short, okay? And what that did was that was supposed to give like a trillion dollars. Actually, it added up to uh, uh, $800 billion or, or $787 million. 787 billion to be exact and what happened to that program it was supposed to be for shovel ready projects a lot of people forgot that during the great recession of 2008 okay it was supposed to put people back to work put america back to work what happened though was the state governments were able to take that money and help balance their budgets especially in maryland so a lot of that money the the, the people that needed that money um again they weren't able to reap the benefits of this intended purpose, which was to take shovel-ready projects, in, in other words, projects you know ready to go within 90 days, and put people back to work. Uh, let's take the next call. Okay, Mark, you're up on the line. How's it going, Mark? Hey, how y'all doing, brother? Doing all, all right. right. It's hey. always good to you know uh, hear good stuff. You know, King. Um, I grew up in that era. He was um, uh, he he. They had a specific you know goal back then. Absolutely. Absolutely. King was a strategist above all else. And a lot of people think that all King was about was uh, sitting down at the table of brotherhood and everybody's singing Kumbaya, but he was serious about economics. He was Very serious. serious. He was, was serious about and that's why. But you don't hear about that. <laughs> you, don't, you don't hear about, you know, that's why, I, you know, I always tell people, you know, watch Selma, you know, things like that right. about our history, Malcolm X, you right. know, and all those kind of things that were, that were made, you know, uh, by our people, about our people. Um, so we can learn. But, you know, you said something very important. Um, when I, back in King in them days, we knew uh, that, that the enemy was racism and segregation. Absolutely. For the last 30 years, what the enemy has it's been. very subtle. Is, very subtle now. It is the, is the war on drugs. But what we should be, the war should be on the, uh, the, the, the side effects of, of, of the war on drugs. Which, well, which is the, the war on drugs, um, Mark, was uh, a... The, more, the war on drugs was a policy of social control that was first envisioned by, um, by Nixon and H.R. Uh, Halderman. And it's in a book that uh, Halderman actually wrote. And they actually, they actually cited that as being the, um, the, uh, the uh, Southern strategy. It was supposed to flip the South, who were mad at blacks, the gains they actually made in the Civil Rights Movement. It was supposed uh -huh. to flip them to vote you know, from the, the Dixocrats, the last remnants of the Dixocrats, flip them into the Republican Party. And Reagan actually took that war, which was a rhetorical war during Nixon administration, and made it into a real one. Okay, and when crack came along, they were just uh, smiling with glee. They hired staffers and all kinds of stuff to uh, advertise crack babies and all this other stuff. 
and it was almost exclusively um, executed on, on black communities. Okay, it, even though more whites were using drugs than blacks. Okay, yeah, so that that was a big myth, and most of the people arrested during that time were most of the increase in arrest was for um, possession of uh, simple possession of marijuana. Absolutely. Okay. So it wasn't it had nothing to do with kingpins or anything like that or try to stop kingpins. And then, and also the money from the omnibus com, uh, crime bill, which was passed by Bill Clinton. Yes, sir. That 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 bill actually gave money to to um, local governments to make arrests. So it was a numbers game. The more arrests you made, the more money you got. And that's why you see places like Ferguson when they have uh, nonviolent protests. You see these tanks and stuff out out there. Yes, that's because of all the arrests they made. They get that money from the government to get by those tanks and all that equipment. There's gifts from the government for making arrests. And, and like you, you know, you were saying, it's a lot going. But you know, we got a lot of stuff going on. We just don't have enough. Are you guys aware of the uh, the training program over at the um, Baltimore City Training Center, forty nine ten Park Heights Avenue? Right, right. Mm-hmm. No, no. Well, what I'm saying, yeah. But what I'm saying, Mark, about that. Yeah, no, 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 no. We're we're I'm um, we're aware of it. But what I'm saying, Mark, there are a lot uh-huh. of good programs. Let me finish. There are a lot of good programs, uh-huh. and a lot of good people out here trying to do the right thing. Yes, All I'm sir. saying is that there is not enough. And a lot of that times, it's that's not. eyewash, and it makes people complacent. They say, "Oh, there's a program over here, or a program over here." It's not enough. Well, you got right. well, you got 51.8 percent unemployment. It's not uh-huh. enough. Something's got to be done. We got to find a way to turn these kids around. Uh, but we're going to lose another, a third generation of black urban youth, okay? We need to find a way to catch these kids early, give them to work like, when yes, they're 14, uh, and get them to get their minds thinking about work and not the streets and not the street code because the street code is not applicable to professional work, okay? Absolutely. You, you, put, you are familiar with uh, My Brother's Keeper? Uh, yep. It was a, a program initiated by the uh, Obama administration. Yeah, so, they, so, they also um, not, did something, or do, you know, Holder, he had them doing something as far as... Uh, uh, changing the uh, the sentencing laws and all that kind of stuff, too. Yeah, because they had a lot of laws that were that were actually, like I said, targeting blacks. Because yes, the crack cocaine laws versus the powder cocaine laws were were <laughs> were different. You get fifty years in jail for the same amount of crack that you can get. You know, basically a strap flap on a wrist for powder cocaine. I'm so, glad we got them, man. I'm yeah. glad we got them. Well, people you are starting to figure this stuff out. Races obstructing this Congress ever. Mm-hmm. You know, brothers, I don't want us to. To sleep on that fact that this been the most racist obstructionist Congress ever, you know, and 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 the Republicans are still showing, uh, how, trying to delegitimize him by saying he can't nominate and all this kind of stuff. Just, you know, he's not the real president. What they trying to say? So I don't. That's why I don't nitpick. You know about what happened in the '90s. The biggest thing that happened to me in the '90s is we had in Baltimore we had 300 murders. Per year. Right, right, right. Let me, let That's me, let me, let me tell you why that was crucial. Let me tell you why that was crucial. What happened in the nineties was crucial because mm-hmm. some of the same remnants from the nineties. If you don't say you got a criminal record during the nineties, mm-hmm. during the heyday of all that, you still have that criminal record. You still are alive. You still, uh-huh. you know, what I'm saying you still got to deal with that. You can still got to deal with the fact that you can't get a job, you can't find legal work, and so that the lure of the drug market is still there. That's where where the dangers of the war on drugs comes in. And anybody that studied, like I said, the history of prohibition of alcohol. And all uh-huh. the crime that resulted from having alcohol illegal, and the only way they solved it is making alcohol legal. By the uh-huh. way, then you would understand the dangers of the war on drugs. But people that haven't studied that history, they don't get it. But the people, the architects of the war on drugs, study that history, and they understand what it's doing, and it's doing exactly what it was meant to do: put the brakes on the civil rights, the gains made by the civil rights movement. That's well, exactly what it's doing. We can't let a Republican. We cannot let a Republican get in there. We can hold the feet to the fire, whoever the Democratic nominee is, but we can't let a Republican get in there. Yeah. 
And I hope it's not Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs> for real. All right, thank you. Take care. All right, thank you, sir. All thank right. you so much call for your call. Um, and you can reach us at 410-481-1010. Next up on the line, we have Tony. Tony, how's it going this afternoon? Oh, it's going great. Um, yeah, when you're talking about, uh, you know, getting, you know, kind of empowering the black community. Now, I know you, you mentioned something about uh, you're into the trade, right? Like the trade, you have a particular trade that you uh, offer? Yeah, I have. A, I, I, I'm a I'm a tradesman. I'm I'm a um, HVAC guy by trade. But oh, what I'm saying is, commercial for for BBR or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, well, I got, no. The reason I say that is because I mean, I mean, I understand this. I mean, Baltimore has an amazing inventory of of homes out there that we need to be accumulating, renovating, and getting people like you and your team and people you know. That's, on we, these jobs. We do do that. Know, we do do that. There's a whole economy where a lot of black people that are unemployable, they're finding work rehabilitating a lot of these houses. Because, as as I've said on, on, on uh, previous shows, there's almost no... My brother, who buys houses, by the way, and re- renovates them, says there's already no house in Baltimore City that can't be renovated and made livable. And when he gets these houses, he buys them very cheap. He buys them like $3,000. And right. he puts them together, and, and they're quite nice when he finishes with them. So well, no, because I do the same thing. I want to, you know, I, I'm looking for like a team. So I, I'm glad I heard your number because now I can go through you and, you know, we can employ competent individuals and turn over a great product and get people working. But, I mean, we need to be scooping up these properties as individuals. And, you know, instead of complaining about so-and-so coming in the community, taking them, well, why are we buying them? Yeah, one of my clients um, is an Asian, and uh, she says that she wants to buy 100 houses. And they wow. buy them at, at, at uh, they buy them at tax sales and at, at, at cut rate prices, and they fix these properties up. A hundred yeah. houses is a lot of property. <laughs> you know, you can beat yeah, a damn down truck of, of Baltimore. <laughs> yeah, my margin <laughs> call is you know we got it. I mean, I, I said it earlier that we you know we just got to stop uh, looking for looking outside for well for work or anything. There's we got a caveat. To, we got to be inside and be be. Right. Uh, I agree. I agree. But there's a caveat. You pay taxes. Okay, so you should. To me, the people of Baltimore should benefit first from the tax uh, dollars. Those tax dollars that that you pay to the city of Baltimore do not belong to those politicians. They are shepherds of those funds. So by them giving that money to other people, rich people, wealthy people, wealthy developers who lead the money less, they're shortchanging the people that that need the money most. And and communities like uh, Santana, Winchester. So you have a right to that money being reinvested into your community. That's the first line of defense against poverty in the city. And Marion Burry was one of, the, one of the few mayors, and Maynard Jackson were one of the few mayors that figured that out. People like that. Maynard Jackson took, they, they had like a, a less than 1% participation of minorities when Maynard Jackson became the first black mayor of Atlanta. By the time he left, it was a 35% participation rate. We don't have the political will in Baltimore City to, to accomplish that yet. And so that money is not, again, it's not their money. You can't just let them off the hook that easy. And say, well, I'm gonna just pay these taxes. Y'all gotta do nothing for me. No, 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 no. You expect yeah, to do I, your job. I understand that. You understand the fight, but at some point, you gotta say, well, bump it. We can all. We can all well, I've been saying anyway. that. You know I've been saying, saying like, that personally, but I, I can't see saying that for the entire community and screwing the whole, whole community. You know, I don't depend on them for nothing. But at the same time, I see it as being evil. You know, wrong to take that money and, and give it to wealthy, fork it over to wealthy developers. Yeah, and, but the thing is, it ain't. But we we can't claim that it's someone else. I mean, it ain't nothing but ain't a bunch of black uh, elected officials in Baltimore. Right, right. I get that. That's what it, I, I, it's not a black or white thing. I'm saying it's it's a uh, corruption thing. 
These people oh, are corrupt. Okay. I hear, I hear no, 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 no. It's not. No, 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 no. I'm not even. That's a distraction. I'm not going to get on black yeah, and white. I'm not going to get on. Um, I'm not going to get on. Um, 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 Democrat, Republican. I'm just saying the people that are in power are empowered to help these people with in Sandtown, Winchester, for instance, with a 51.8 percent unemployment right. rate aren't doing it. That's what I'm saying. These kids yeah, need and, summer jobs. They're not doing that. Okay, and, they they need and, summer jobs, and not just a damn rec center. If I if I like again, when I was a kid, if you told me which one you want, a summer job or rec center, I tell you, screw that rec center, give me a summer job. Right. Okay. And these millennials will tell you that I'm sitting with here in their twenties will tell you the same thing because they weren't able to get summer jobs. They were very upset about it. Right. Well, we the, spoke the, the last thing week. is, uh, what last was you saying? Is, uh, uh, I was saying we spoke about that last week about right. uh, the difficulties that we had trying to get employment during the summer. Yeah, there are things that government can do, but I'm not saying that you need to just lay down because they're not doing anything for you. You still got to do to handle your business. That's what I've been yeah, doing because, all my life. I mean, there should be a way more grocery stores, black grocery stores. But anyway, but the thing is, on this war on poverty thing, I mean, it's been like 50 years, 22 trillion dollars, and. I mean, what is, is 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 the war about to be won in about a week? Or I don't know. I don't know. The Iraq the Iraq was fifteen years and and uh, three trillion dollars. Has that war been won yet? You know, I mean, people talk about war and poverty, but at the same time, we'll spend billions of dollars to, to go overseas and kill you know brown people. Well, I you think know, nobody's complaining about that. We pretty much out of Iraq. <laughs> we not out of we we still have people in Iraq, sir. And we said people we have like ten thousand troops in Afghanistan. That war's supposed to be over. I studied two tours in Iraq. There's people over there. Trust me. Yeah. Okay, next call, please. Well, okay, right. next up. Thank, thank you, you sir. for your call. Um, next up on the line, we have Ernest. How's it going, Ernest? Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Hey, well, I'm going to tell you something, man. The reason why we're in the problems that we're having today, but we have too many sellouts, and they're not hiding. We nope. got black sellouts. Yep. I heard on 60 Minutes, Al Sharpton said, he is not going to condemn President Barack Obama for anything that he does, including offenses against black people. White people made sure that came out, out of his mouth. He is supposed to be a leader in our community. This is what he said. He didn't give a he didn't give a crap what happened. He's always going around talking about Martin Luther King like a lot of people do. Mm-hmm. He said he don't care what Barack Obama do, who he kills what kind of atrocities he's been in the world against anybody, including African-Americans, he is not going to talk. He gave some reason why he's not going to talk against them. Well, he's well, supposed Ernest, to be a leader. Well, now, let me go on further. Go ahead, Ernest. I'm going to let you talk, but go ahead. Let, let me, go ahead. I'm the let's... reason why we don't have a black governor, Anthony Brown, now I don't care what you say about Anthony Brown, Anthony Brown did everything that a black person should do. He was well-educated. He went in the service. He, 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 he did two tours in Iraq as a, a, as a commanding officer. I'm right. he, he was a, a, he's in legal corps. He was in the JAG corps. He, was, yeah. he, he trained as a helicopter pilot, but he later went to the uh, Yeah, I know the he trained. As, well, yeah. if you train as a helicopter pilot, you, you train it for action. Yeah, but he you, ain't, you ain't flying around uh, uh, in the war zone. And no, no, he didn't. Respect. He but didn't fly. Is that, he he but, served on Judge, judge Advocate. Uh, yeah, I the know. Legal team. I know he did because yeah. he had a law degree yeah. from Harvard. Exactly. Yeah, go ahead. Just want to keep however, that factual. However, we black people, for the most part, and a lot of Democrats, plus blue dogs, and a lot of black people in this state, voted for Hogan. He didn't serve nowhere. 
He don't have the qualities. He don't have the education. And you hear him on these airways saying, I supported him. You hear black people saying that. I supported him. Here's a man that has done nothing. No educational value. No nothing. He didn't even go to, to go to college in this state. He went to Florida State somewhere. His father wanted him out of the, the out of Maryland. Well, 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 <laughs> well. By that standard, Ernst, a lot of our politicians have haven't done. You know, uh, well, I'm not talking of, about it. Like, what has Donald Trump? It. What has Donald Trump done? <laughs> Besides making money, I, in this I'm country. not talking about Donald Trump. Trump. Yeah. I'm yeah, not talking about you're going to change. You're going to change. What's, I'm talking about what black people sell out black people. And I know you listen to radio, so you don't hurt them. Yep. Uh, and, That's true. And I've heard. I've heard. Yeah. And this is why we're in the situation. But I'm gonna be honest with you, because they are not Ernest. real. They're sellouts. Ernest. And they're sellout for for popcorn. All right, all right, Ernest. Um, you guys, hey, hey, can I say one more conclude, thing? Go ahead and conclude, and then we'll go to the okay, next one. Okay, this is, this is what my, my conclusion. Go ahead. You know, getting a job in the summertime is good. But, you know, when I traveled around the country, I noticed that a lot of young people were going to colleges, and they was going to these summer camp music camps. Because you know that if, you, if you're a musician and you go to get in that college, and you don't even have to be majored in music. If you can play an instrument and be in that band, you got a, a good chance of getting a free ride. In some colleges, that's $80,000 a year. So you have to think ahead, and black people don't do that. You understand what I'm saying? Absolutely. Making $15 an hour, that's good. I worked when I was in high school and all so, that. So that. But I found out later, when I started going around to these big colleges, these colleges was loaded with white, white boys and white girls and some black children, and these jazz camps and these orchestras and uh, uh, playing an organ and all kinds of things. Because when I, I went around, I was looking and signifying. Right. And if I, if I had it my way, if they, they're going to have a mentoring program without a job, I'd rather be that. Okay, thank you very much. All right, thank you, thank you, you so much for your, Thanks for your contribution. And uh, once again, you can give us a call, 410-481-1010. Um, and we're back to the conversation on joblessness. Yeah, but as I said before, uh, this this whole deal with this um, mass incarceration, and then, again, we keep connecting these dots um, with the mass incarceration problem. They say that uh, one in six, uh, one in six um, black males have been involved in the criminal justice system. In this country, in this country. So, and um, they said the trend continues. One in three black males will be involved in the criminal justice system. And, and in fact, the guy that ran that job center we talked about earlier down at the, um, the Mondaman, he said that he believes that one, and this is just his opinion, he believes that one in three black males in the city of Baltimore have, have some, some uh, issue with the criminal justice system. And uh, Freddie Gray, by the way, again, he had he had he had several issues with no violent crimes, no history of violent crimes, but he did have several drug arrests, which is one, the the main employer for people that can't get jobs elsewhere in this economy. So when we do have job programs, we need to address the fact that we have a high offender po population. And by the way, you know, seventy percent of these people recidivate. Okay, and uh, and by the way, if you're going to recidivate, it doesn't take you. They say it takes three years to recidivate. And as, as Brother Bayer said, it, it, it doesn't take three years to commit a crime. It takes you three years to get caught. So meanwhile, these guys are in the community and they're, you know, they're involved in criminal activity in our communities, making our communities unsafe because um, the, the um, job market does not support them going back to work. And, and the, other, the, the, the other thing that the, the manager of that job center said is that, you know, 
the main problem with employing, you know, black males in the city is is um, these criminal records, of which uh, Freddie Gray has uh, several arrests and convictions for, you know, drug offenses. And so you see how the war on drugs works as a, a, a policy of social control rather than crime control, because as has been said on previous shows, crime has actually been going down. You know, some violent crimes in some cities have gone up, some, some murder, you know, murder rates in some cities have gone up. But at one time, we were averaging, you know, 300-plus murders, 350 murders a year in Baltimore. So crime is going down, but incarceration, incarceration rates have went up. And since 1983, the prison population has quadrupled from 300,000 people in prison. We only had 300,000 people in prison in 1983. Now we got 2.3 million. I mean, we're the most incarcerated country in the world. Okay, so, and all the stuff bears on the employability is like, as Michelle Alexander puts it, it's almost like a new Jim Crow. It's a way that they can exclude you from, from having a job based on, you know, you have the criminal record. Also in Freddie Gray's neighborhood, you could be picked up for being on the corner, standing behind Freddie Gray, standing with Freddie Gray talking. They could arrest you as being a lookout, a drug lookout. A lot of people have been caught up in that. So, you know, there are people who have been, um, innocent people that have been caught up in this situation. And... By the way, um, um, Leroy, you have anything to add? Because we're about to conclude the show. Um, well, yeah. Well, you know, going back to uh, to William Julius Wilson's uh, book, "When Work Disappears," uh, based on uh, one of the central studies of the book that focused on employers in Chicago, they concluded that seventy four percent of all white employers expressed negative views of job related traits of inner city blacks, while eighty percent of black employers did the same. So this reflects the emphasis on cultural uh, traits and stereotypes on uh, blacks in the inner city as opposed to the structural issues um, that make these things happen, which is more important. So you see how we're trying to connect these dots. And then, and black people, again, are in denial. They say stuff like, oh, yeah, you shouldn't have been a crime. Yeah, but these people are here. They're not going to disappear. They're here. They, they committed the crimes over. Then once you serve your time, you should be able to rehabilitate yourself. You should have a, a true a true opportunity to rehabilitate. And with that opportunity comes hopelessness, and with hopelessness comes crime and violence. And that's what, you know, our community is suffering from. Zach? And uh, in conclusion, I was just going to say, um, if you uh, look up William Julius Wilson on YouTube, um, you know, a lot of people uh, talk about why do we harp on, um, you know, people who are considered to be the lower echelon in society. But uh, he is a Harvard professor and he talks about being in the elevator and, you know, he's 70 something years old, but he looks younger and how uh, elderly white couples, um, you know, profile him and, um, you know, are kind he's of getting apprehensive. Off the elevator. Right. He's getting off the elevator. <laughs> right. Because he's getting on there. So um, it affects us all in um, a lot of different ways. So just, um, you know, every Everybody look into the facts and study everything that uh, has to do with it. Yes. So this concludes another exciting episode of the Call Tyrone Show. And uh, we enjoyed all the dialogue from you guys. I mean, very good dialogue, excellent dialogue. And feel free to join us next week at 2 p.m. on the Call Tyrone Show. Thank you for your time.